Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. I'm Brian Dawes. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And we have an especially full house today because we have Roy Graham, the story lead for Magic the Gathering, on with us today. Hey, Roy. Hey, Jay. How's it going? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do at Wizards? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, like I said, uh, I'm Roy. I am uh, the story lead on Magic, uh, which means that I assist with the um, completion of like the web fiction. Uh, I work with the authors to uh, create outlines, review drafts, uh, and I also help uh, uh, design and uh, the world building teams uh, plan out future story arcs and, and directions that uh, the Magic universe might go. So how did you get involved with uh, Magic Story? Um, it is an, kind of an interesting story. Uh, I So um, are, you, are you familiar with the game League of Legends by chance? Oh, yes. I was yes. literally playing League of Legends. <laughs> I, was hope, I was hoping you would talk about that. Cause, yeah, go ahead. Um, so I, uh, a, a couple of years ago, uh, I was um, uh, a more active League player than I am now. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I was also, uh, sort of at a, a, a point in my writing where I was, uh, I was just, like struggling to get a lot of, uh, good work done. I was struggling to get things published. Um, and, uh, I had never, uh, really messed much with, uh, fan fiction in the past, uh, or IP work, also known as paid fan fiction, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and but uh this this league of legends contest uh this the fan art contest that i don't know that they still run anymore um uh was announced uh where one of the categories was a narrative contest uh in other words they wanted you to write like a 1500 word um short story or something uh and (laughs) I I think I like was at the time I really needed some like affirmation of ability and <laughs> like uh, positive reinforcement and so I um really <laughs> slaved over a, a short story for that contest uh, that ended up winning at second place. Um, okay, but what was the story about? It was about um it was about Lucian the uh-huh. the light slinger. Nice. Uh, it was uh him you know 1500 words is a is a really short story mm-hmm. so it it essentially allows for like one scene um and in it uh lucian was uh drinking in like a a, a tavern by the edge of a, like a little village um across the water from the shadow isles uh and they've been like ravaged by a, a terrible spirit in the woods that's been like killing I mean, all the parties that are sent in after it and all this stuff. And then the twist of it is is that uh, the guy who's trying to recruit Lucian to help him uh, is the, the, the spirit in disguise that's been doing all this. And he blasts it with his cool light guns. Um, <laughs> uh, but so that story ended up... Um, because of that, they invited me uh, to Riot Campus to talk to their narrative team over there, um, and they invited me to to write something actually official for League, um, which I did. Uh, and then a little while down the line, um, Magic uh, was uh, really in need of 
uh, like a very specific strange subset of, of skills, which is someone who's like done work around games, um, someone who knows like magic decently well, uh, and also someone who can <laughs> write like a, a decently effective 5,000 word short story. Um, and uh, yeah, so I wrote, I wrote uh, something for Kaldheim. The first thing I ever wrote for magic was the Arnie broken brow story. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, not long after that, um, a full-time position opened up. Uh, so that's how I uh, ended up at magic. They, they liked the story. They wanted to keep, uh, keep getting work from me. Uh, I very much wanted <laughs> to be working for them. So here we are. <laughs> uh, so we talked, you talked a little bit about what your, your role with magic story is. Um, you know, one of those functions is like being an editor, obviously, uh, yes. for the for the fiction. So we talked a little bit about that already. What was your experience with Magic uh, before working at Wizards? Um, I've played Magic for a really long time. Uh, I think I started in um, sixth grade, which for me was probably oh god, don't in say like. <laughs> I'm gonna feel uh, so old in a second. <laughs> probably in like 2004 or five, I want to say. Um, and uh, you know, I can pinpoint it. It was the Scars of Mirrodin block. Whenever that happened, that was my first mm. first ever um, time playing Magic. That's uh, fun. I, yeah, I bought that, <laughs> I bought that Darksteel precon. Mm-hmm. Um, Very nice. Loved it. Uh, uh, So you came back to work on the continuation of that. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's I mean, it does feel like the 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 sort of thing where if I uh, told my, you know, 10 year old self what I do now, uh, he would lose his Mm -hmm. mind. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, But I, you know, I fell in and out of magic a couple times, as I think a lot of people do in the game. Yeah. uh, like I, I fell off for a while and then in college, a couple of my friends were playing. So I, I went back in. I remember going to a couple um, cons of Tarkir pre-releases and everything. Um, and uh, interestingly, I the last time I had I, I fell off, you know, for a while again after that. And then in grad school um, in I, I went to in, through an MFA program in 2018 uh, and I had very little time to like play video games or do fun things uh, uh, that were not uh, based around that the grad program. But Magic Arena was like a very satisfying, like tight forty minutes uh, that mm, I could just like mm-hmm. complete mm-hmm. all my little quests at the time and then log off and get back to whatever work I needed to get doing. Solid plan. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's talk. Who are your? Let's talk a little bit about what you like about Magic. So. Uh, like, what's your favorite magic setting? You're allowed to have a favorite. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they're all of my IP children are my, my equal favorites. Uh, Uh, no, I, so, um, I think I have a soft spot for Ravnica, uh, if I had to pick one, uh, because it, um, Probably part, like partially because it was around the time of Ravnica that I started playing, or or like shortly after when I started playing. Um, but also because the the idea of the um, the like narrative identity of all of the colors was expressed in such a exciting way in the first Ravnica block, and I and I mm-hmm. think I I got for the first time like 
the storytelling potential of the game um, about how like, oh, mm-hmm. Orzov is like black mana and, and white mana. And, and I had this sort of at the time I had this kind of chi- childlike understanding <laughs> of like, oh, yes, like the white color is probably the good guys and the black color is probably the bad guys. Uh, and wait, is that not true? <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, but like looking at the Orzov, right? The like mm-hmm. white black <laughs> faction, and and mm-hmm. thinking about like what those colors meant in the context of like a society built around these principles um, was mm-hmm. it, yeah, it sort of captured my imagination in a way that um, who knows kind of led here in a way. Yeah, Ra- Ravnica, because I started playing um, in the original Mirrodin. Uh, the summer eighth edition came out, so I started, and the Mirrodin came out, and so like. Ravnica was the first new set that really had multicolor cards in any reasonable way. And it was the first multicolor set since Apocalypse. And setting up things with the 10 guilds, I think, really solidified in a lot of players' minds. Like, what are the colors of Magic about? And how do they work together with all the other colors? Because it was also the first time that, like, enemy color pairs had gotten equal weight with allied color pairs in a magic set ever um and that was very cool uh i think uh i think they hit something special on that original uh ravnica block and uh i i I don't think it's that surprising that it became such a popular fan favorite plane yeah giving giving the colors an identity people could pick the identity that they wanted to belong to like actual factions now i started Technically, I started with Mercadian Masks, but I mostly played during the Invasion block. Great set. Um, and like, yeah, I liked the multicolor, but it didn't make much sense to me because you it was just like they the multicolor stuff was either they mashed up creature types. So, oh, blue green. Here's an elf merfolk with zero explanation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, so, yeah, I think Ravnica is definitely a. Definitely a solid one when they um, in, in the development of, of how you can see that stuff. Well, if, if you want to know what a color is about, uh, you kind of have to put it in context with other things. And what better way to do that than to have the color paired with every other color and you really get a good sense of it. Like, what is green? Well, it's this in green blue. It's this in green red. It's this in green black and green white. And so at the end of that, you come out with a pretty solid understanding of green. So it's a, yeah, I was yeah. I was thinking that also, Chris. That that I think part of the magic there is is that uh, it frames the colors against things that are are like them mm-hmm. or 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 unlike them. But you you get a that much clearer look at like in that case what mm-hmm. the defining principles of the color is and and the the um the you know flexibility also of each color. The fact that Azorius and or not Azorius um. The fact that like Golgari and Selesnia are, you know, share green, but share so little else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just a Ravnica gives us a real opportunity to understand colors uh, in a place where you can't just say, well, green is like this on this plane. You know, you go to a plane where it's like, well, green is the color of big monsters here. And that's all green is on that plane. There are no elves. There's no, you know, little funguses or plants. It's just big monsters. And that's not really all that green is, but you go to Ravnica, it's like, yeah, green's the color of big monsters and also the color of sapperlings and also the color of elves. Um, and also sometimes the color of undead funguses, you know, it's, <laughs> you get a, a really good holistic view of what the color can be, 
when you frame it in context with everything else. But that's a lot of talking about uh, Ravnica, which I think we could do a whole episode about. And we have um, multiple full episodes. Yeah. Uh, so who are to, to make you pick more favorites? Who are your favorite magic characters? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that question. Yeah, it was in the list. I knew that's it's tough. It's a tough question. Um, I think, uh, oh boy. Uh, so I have a soft spot for um, Karn because uh, Dominari United was the first set I worked on. And um, there are a lot of people inside the company that are uh, much more knowledgeable about the, the deep lore of Magic the Gathering uh, than... You can say Ethan's <laughs> name. Uh, yeah. Uh, shout <laughs> Shout out to the real set lead of... Dominaria United. Um, but in an effort to like uh, put myself at least in the same, you know, ballpark uh, as mm -hmm. these people, I, I did a lot of um, deep dives. Uh, and uh, mm -hmm. Karn is such a, a fascinating character, uh, such a, he's, he's yeah, gr a great, like, so much like uh, pathos. Um, so much uh like backstory that really feels like it you can you can see the the sort of touches that it leaves on on his character in the in the modern day um such like a compelling and uh rich story arc and and i i'm a really i'm always a sucker for like a really big guy that deep down doesn't want to hurt anybody <laughs> as opposed to you right roy yeah with with characters is what I. Oh mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I got you. Yeah, I'm a big guy who craves blood at all times. <laughs> yeah, I. One of my favorite things about Karn is just like how much he cares about things. In in especially like, as a planeswalker, you have the option to not care about things, and he cares about things so much. It's so traumatizing for him, <laughs> and he's so sad about it. Uh, and I love that he drives himself crazy caring about things. Yeah for like really good reasons um and like gets like creates all these really interesting juxtapositions between his story and urza's story um it's really good stuff that was the first set i ever got to write for karn which i was also very excited about so he's a fun good fun character to write for for sure i love i love a mm -hmm. non-human also like the, the subtle <laughs> the subtle weirdnesses in the way that karn thinks about things mm -hmm. and people is is always mm -hmm. something i I really jam with a good a yeah. good writer of Karn always also finds ways to express his emotions uh, in ways you can't with regular humans. I know this was always a a, a thing uh, when writing Karn is uh, he he doesn't have human expressions, so he's kind of had to learn over millennia what he can do to put people at ease. I I do appreciate you talking about non humans because I feel like. Dominar United gave us Karn as a great example. Um, he was certainly like the feature of that set. Um, you could argue it was a Karn set before anything else. Uh, and then we got a lot of sort of like that alien feeling of non-human uh, from the March of the Machine stories with Elspeth and then also uh, the Aftermath story with Nyssa a little bit and sort of understanding like, I find it really compelling when a non-human character is written in such a way where they feel alien but they don't feel like unnerving it's not like it's intentional to make you feel weirded out by them but it does make you think oh they this person is like seeing and experiencing the world completely differently than i am now um, yeah it kind of puts yeah. you a little bit 
on edge, but at the same time, it's like this person's not a threat. It's just very alien. It's just very different. And so you have to kind of get into that mindset. And I like that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Elspeth, actually, mm-hmm. Chris, because she's another favorite of mine, um, especially like I her I'm I'm very Karn, I think in many ways his his story is done um, like his his greatest failure has been kind of rectified um, his uh, you know creation is is gone. Um, so, you know, get nervous, Karn fans, because I got some <laughs> sharpening my knives. Um, <laughs> yes. Na- Roy naming Karn as a favorite character does not spare Karn the knife. <laughs> no, no. Um, but I, I, you know, I think uh, Elspeth has sort of entered this like whole new territory uh, for her character. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very excited to uh, for for like what she has coming down the pipe is what I'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to see like cool things from her and Capenna and March of the Machine just like I shifted her in like just enough of a direction where she's not not Elspeth, but she's not Elspeth like. Yeah. And 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 th- walking that line, uh, I think, is a very cool direction to go with that character. Uh, that that was really important and, for me. Um, I like mm-hmm. her. It it felt like I, I hate stories where you know, great power is sort of comes to someone without some sort of cost. Um, mm-hmm. And I I felt really like if Elspeth was going to go through this, this deep transformation and, you know, we were going to play the sort of like, ooh, is she dead card in the, when she grabs the Silex and, and whooshes away, I felt like it would be sort of cheap to not, to not have that change run you know, mm-hmm. real deep, uh, deeper than just slapping on a cool pair of wings. Well, it's also just like, you know, Elspeth has been a character for over 10 years in Magic and 15. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Really? yeah. 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 <laughs> I hate you, Jay. I hate, I hate the um, passage of time, too. <laughs> uh, and, and like, you know, look, like a character's been around for 15 years and at some point it's, hey, there are ways in which this, you know, the balance between good storytelling and an IP with like tentpole characters that have to kind of there's a balance between consistency and change. Um, and uh, at some point you have to take some big swings in either direction. And uh, I, I think the stuff with Elspeth and March of the Machine was great. Um, feels like really refreshing take on that character that just feels like a continuation of of what this character has been going through for 15 years and uh, making that feel natural, but also like big and important is hard. If it's, if it's of interest, I, I actually, you know, I kind of had to fight for, for that uh, because in a way it's um, in a way, I think it's sad <laughs> that oh, yeah. Elspeth it comes you know, off loses, tragic. loses a lot 100%. of her humanity after, after all of this. Um, uh, she sacrifices a lot to like, have the strength to come back in this way uh and uh jenna who is uh jenna helland who like a long time mm-hmm. magic story person um who is no longer with the company but uh what did like an enormous amount of work uh on the mm-hmm. march of the machine story beforehand um before leaving uh she and i kind of had an argument about it where she and it, which is funny because she created elspeth it's like it's like her character mm-hmm. oh uh, yeah and jenna <laughs> jenna really was like di- didn't want wanted like a happy ending for Elspeth. And I, I, I told her like, I don't think, I don't think that's right. 
for the story. And well, I want that. It would doom the character. <laughs> like, to have something this monumental happen to Elspeth and then just have her walk away with like, oh, I've got wings and some angel powers would just be like, where do you go? Like, what is the next Elspeth story? <laughs> it's just... It would just, I would never really care about Elspeth's stories ever again if that was the case. Because yeah. it's like, well, I, I, where does it go? I would argue she she got her happy ending. She was in literal paradise and she chose to come back for this fight, which I thought was a, a cool development. And I wish we had gotten the full story on that one, but that's a whole separate issue. Uh, but this feels like a good segue. So we wanted to talk about basically two things with you tonight, uh, Broy. The first is talking about the some behind the scenes of the Frexian arc, which already this is great, and we'll talk more about uh, we'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, the other thing, if you're listening, is we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what came with the big status quo shakeup and why those decisions were made uh, with aftermath, namely with Omen Paths and with uh, the Spark Rupture depowering everybody. Um, you mean the Great so Pruning? We'll, the great oh my god no. roy have you guys have you guys figured out a cooler name for that yet um the de-sparketing the de-sparketing i'll take it <laughs> anything better than i'll take it over pr- i'll take it over pr- great pr- pruning <laughs> um anyway uh so phyrexian arc we've talked you've talked a little bit about it uh comparative to where where was it when you came on and what were your responsibilities for it because that has that also kind of changed over time right it did, yeah. Um, so when I came on, I was um, a uh, what's in, internally called a world building set lead, which are more responsible for uh, the consistency of world building and 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 uh, the creation of that within like individual sets. Um, so you know, I, I worked on uh, Dominaria United, both making that story uh, come together and and also um, uh, figuring out like what parts of Dominaria we were going to see in the card set and and uh, what would be going on there at the time and all that. Um, uh, by the time I came in, uh, there was a lot of work that had already been done on the like broader shape of the story for uh, the, the Phyrexian arc, which um, at the time we called Parallax. Uh, and ran basically from Kamigawa to uh, March of the Machine. Um, so most of the team was involved in like the story for their own set. So for instance, uh, mm-hmm. Miguel Lopez, who was the set lead on uh, The Brothers War, was responsible for uh, working with our author for that, Reinhard Suarez, on um, the the like present. Uh, the the present timeline uh, while he himself wrote the um scenes from the past uh and uh grace fong was like working with sean and mcguire on um all will be one uh and uh emily was uh emily tang was working on uh march of the machine but as you might imagine that set was so fiendishly complicated uh in Mm -hmm. you know making sure that the depictions of the many many magic planes uh i think there's one there's a there is a number but i don't know it um it's the many, high many, i could probably uh, look it up but no it's it's high it's at least it's at least 36 yes. yeah mm-hmm. um because that's how many battles there are emily is an extraordinary wielder of the spreadsheet uh is one thing <laughs> i learned <laughs> uh during that time but she just didn't really have capacity to to also 
uh, work on, uh, you know, and we, we knew at the time also that we wanted to like go as big as, as we kind of could at the time for, um, mm-hmm. for that story. We, we knew we wanted like 10 episodes, which I know a lot of people talked about how it wasn't enough story at the end of the day, but it was twice as many as we were doing for mm-hmm. all the other sets. Um, you know, we had eight side stories. We hit, we like had, uh, all of the authors return, uh, from like, sets that they had they had worked on right so we had like uh elisa greenblatt do the zendikar story we had all that um and uh emily uh later would would pick up those side stories and work on them but uh at uh for the main story there was there was sort of no one to, to take that on uh who had time and uh after jenna left there was really no one who had time to, to take that on uh so uh at at her recommendation, I was uh, I started picking up the slack there and and working with um, our excellent writer uh, Kira uh, on bringing that from like a loosely outlined thing into completion. Uh, and uh, I should say also that like while I, I took the lead on uh, that, it was at that point really like a team effort. There, the the our internal processes. Um, were a lot looser at this point. There was no such thing as a story lead. There was no like centralized person whose job it was mm-hmm. to do story. So we were all like all of the, the world building set leads were just in every document at the same time. <laughs> like there was like five editors for every uh, every draft. Uh... Yep. <laughs> well, it's, it's the kind of project that makes you go, oh, hey, wait, we might need a story lead. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, uh, it was as as Jay can can attest. It was a little bit chaotic. Uh, yeah, you all came to me. Uh, I think in the lead up to this, and be like, "Hey, how's your calendar for the next <laughs> year or so?" Because um, we might need to double your workload. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Uh, turns out I'm all clear. Um, but yeah, it was. Oh my god, it was a fiendish amount of work. It was, it was, and and it was really only accomplishable because uh, of everyone's, you know, dedication and and like passion for the project. We like everyone on the team really wanted to see the story arc brought to to uh, mm-hmm. like a satisfying conclusion, and uh, they a lot of the time they did it at the expense of their own, you know, time and sanity. <laughs> yeah, we've talked in the past of, of about that, especially with the the last web fiction team and how by. Uh, Ixalan, it was largely just Allison Lurs doing most yep. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this time, I mean, it was it was a great team effort because you also have other editors, uh, contract editors besides me. Yes. Uh, that, yeah, we that, have line. We, we also work with line editors and uh, developmental editors, uh, as well as sensitivity readers that are uh, usually chosen um, for the particular story. Uh, so talk what what kinds of things were set in stone? What kinds of things? were were gonna happen maybe and what what did you have wiggle room on um boy well or what does wiggle room even mean i should <laughs> i should mention because it's not like it's your decision personally for everything yeah well, there were a lot of problems that we had to solve <laughs> so we mm-hmm. you know we went in and we knew that like okay by the end of this um the phyrexians have to be dealt with um at least at least for the moment they have to like be neutered more or less right no longer a threat 
Um, we knew we wanted to bring Jalfir back. Everyone was very excited about that being like tied into the uh, yeah. the the you know having Teferi's uh, story arc uh, finish and and tie mm-hmm. into the conclusion here. Um, it was sort of a, a late uh, a later choice uh, to have Teferi actually end up in in Jalfir and and lead them through uh, in that way. Um, but uh, we that was definitely like set in stone. Um, from the beginning, um, but like resolving those problems, uh, like how how do you deal with Phyrexia, uh, which is you know previous writers have established as a a real problem, <laughs> where like you know a little bit of oil gets somewhere and the whole plane is just screwed. Um, which is a great bit of flavor when you only have to deal with them on one plane to begin with. Yeah. But it's much more problem when you've then spread it elsewhere. Yeah. Boy, is it. Uh, so, yeah, there were a lot of like, we know these are the big things that we want the story to do. The minutia of how to accomplish those things uh, is still up in the air. So like uh, Elspeth is another great example. We knew we wanted this to be the moment where Elspeth's like angelic true nature is revealed. Uh, the mm-hmm. particulars of how that happened and what it meant for her are, were very much up in the air. Um, I talked a little bit about like Jenna and and my going back and forth about what uh, an angelic Elspeth should be like and whether that moment should feel triumphant or or sort of like a sacrifice. Um, similarly, like I, I talked about this in a panel that um, we did with with Kira in Minneapolis, but. Um, my original idea for uh, Elspeth's like angelic, like the the how of of uh, that process coming to uh, coming to be was much more literal and and all, like a little bit slapstick, I think, <laughs> uh, where you know Elspeth grabs the silex and and she wakes up and she's in uh, the temple on Dominaria where new Sarah angels uh, incarnate Mm -hmm. uh, and has like a helpful little human acolyte who takes her through her new duties as an angel. (laughs) Uh, uh, And uh, Kira was the one that sort of pushed back on me and and, um, was able to envision that section of the story as something more abstract and personal and intimate to to Elspeth and and sort of going back through mm-hmm. her own memories and uh, I'm glad that we went with that one because it's I think it's much better. It's honestly one of my favorite pieces of magic story. It's also just really weird. It's a weird thing to have happen, which I think is fitting for like the aloof result of that whole transformation. Yeah. I, I I agree. Uh, we and we you know we also knew at the time that all of this, that that the desparkening uh, was coming and that the omen paths were opening up and and uh, uh, what that meant for the future uh, of magic and and the magic story was uh, also something that you know there were a lot of discussions about <laughs> as we mm-hmm. as we went towards it. Yeah. So that seems like an excellent segue into uh let's talk about the aftermath of march and the machines in this whole phyrexian arc uh so there there were two big status quo change-ups the uh the biggest changes in 15 years uh because it was around the same time maybe 16 god jesus that was a long time ago anyway the mending was a very long time ago and that sort of sealed off these interplane these planar barriers and and put an end to any of those kinds of shenanigans and then we had 
15, 16 years of storytelling, and now we are kind of opening that back up again. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what went into like, because these are these are I keep talking about them as two separate things, but they're really decisions that went together. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the the reasoning uh, and the story potential of the Omen Pass and the de-sparking? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so I, there's a, there's a bunch of different directions that you could look at this from. Um, and you know, Jay, you like you and I were talking about this uh, earlier about how people paying attention uh, to like Rosewater's uh, blogs would could probably mm -hmm. see that like Planeswalkers um, from a design standpoint are kind of problematic. Uh, they're a very narrow space uh, to design in, and uh, they you know after there's only so many like Chandra Planeswalker cards, <laughs> uh, for instance, that you can make before. Uh, starting to uh run run low on <laughs> creative juice um but uh they're also a, a problem from a, a storytelling perspective uh because of the way that the grid worked right where you have like every uh set you have to follow uh the same uh you have to follow like a a, a fresh planeswalker uh that is a different color than the previous one you saw and they're always going to be the focal point of the story and uh it it becomes a lot of uh reverse engineering uh to be like well okay we know we need to have you know let me check check my notes narset in this set uh based on the color identity and i guess narset's going to innistrad so <laughs> uh have fun with that one <laughs> uh story team uh and I don't think anyone was happy with that uh, arrangement. Um, the multiverse was this uh, tricky combination of, uh, you know, infinitely connected via planeswalkers, but because the the choices around the, those planeswalkers were so limited and and uh, bound to, you know, um, the 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 color identity uh, that we were allowed to have and all of that, uh, mm -hmm. it felt like. Uh, Every planeswalker in stories were ultimately kind of serving the same purpose in that they were showing up, they were going, what's going on with this world right about now? Playing the like, um, you know, playing the like uh, out of town idiot, as it were, uh, <laughs> and uh, stepping in some local conflict. Um, uh, his name is Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so with the omen paths, uh, uh, we're hoping. So the the the, the great desparkening and the omen paths and all that are, are really hoping, from a narrative standpoint, to achieve a couple things. Um, we're hoping to uh, number one allow um, like storytelling uh, to exist outside of discrete conflicts playing out on like a single plane. And, and I have to be careful about how much I say here um, or we're going to get into pineapple mm -hmm. territory. Uh, <laughs> yep. But uh, if uh, with with uh, pathways between uh, worlds uh, now like available for uh, ordinary creatures and and not necessarily not, you know, the necessarily the sparked uh, it offers a lot of uh, like really exciting uh, and interesting narrative opportunities uh, that aren't just tied to, you know, the uh, 
the the sort of rote players um, that we've seen uh, dominating and and wrestling for control over uh, the planes that uh, you know were um, that that we've been going to previously. So I'll I'll also mention you kind of describe like the planeswalker as uh, the planeswalkers who were visiting planes, but we also over the course of the 15 years developed a lot of planeswalkers who never really left their home plane either because they were needed on the home plane, right? Oh, this, dr- yeah, this is a thing that drives me crazy sometimes <laughs> with our cast. Like Raul Zarek? <laughs> you create? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, he has a name. It's Raul Zarek. <laughs> well, we, we, we have, um, occasionally we, they're, they're, we create a character that, uh, you know, Angrath is, I think, another example of, of someone who is, has this miraculous ability to be anywhere in the multiverse uh, that they want to go. And sometimes all they want to go is not not anywhere else. <laughs> so like, you know, mm-hmm. all Angrath wants to do, his sort of core motivation is being with his family, um, which is, it's really hard to send that guy on adventures because mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of characters that, like, like Arlen is an example of like, well, I hope there are werewolves on this new plane, because uh, if they if they mm-hmm. aren't, that's yeah. not an interesting character anymore. Um, so, uh, yeah, planeswalkers. Um, I th- I think my hope with uh, reducing vastly reducing the new number of planeswalkers, and again, there are a lot of good reasons I think to do this, but the only ones I really care about are the story ones. My hope is to make planeswalking feel interesting and special again. Uh, mm-hmm. because uh, they're, you know, not everyone and their mother is a planeswalker anymore. Uh, and also to to have the people with sparks uh, and, and the people that, you know, we're sending to all these corners of the multiverse uh, have some agency and, like, want to be there and, and, you know, have goals, whether <laughs> those goals are, are mm-hmm. uh, nefarious or, or benevolent. We, we talked about it a little bit. We did an episode on these <clears throat> on these changes. And one of the, the things I brought up and we're kind of touching on it here is the fact that for, I guess, like the past, like 10 years ish, um, a little bit less. There's just been like the group of pain, like Planeswalker problem solvers where it's like every set had to revolve around like I, I want to say Gatewatch, but it wasn't even always Gatewatch. Sometimes it was just. Chandra or Elspeth or, or, or Jace. Or, <laughs> it, it was, was it was like it yeah. was a Gatewatch character or Elspeth for and, the entirety of Magic. Well, it just it meant that like for a very long time, every conflict on every plane had to sort of be put in that sort of like you mentioned, like the outside you know ignorant person comes to town and goes, "Oh, what's going on here?" But like now, it's like okay, if something bad happens on Innistrad, um, there's not going to be a Gatewatch to show up. There's not going to be a Teferi to come reset the sun. There's not going to be, you know, all these characters showing up on Innistrad to help save the day. And now we can go back to Innistrad. And I'm actually excited about a story there because it's like it's going to be a story about Innistrad people again. You know? Yeah, I mean, and and that's I'm I'm glad that you are excited about that because <laughs> because that's I mean that's the that's this the goal of the story team going forward is is to, to tell stories mm-hmm. that are 
more about the the settings and and you know the in, the inhabitants of a plane uh, than they are about like a like a superhero mm-hmm. the superhero team that is hap- happens to be using Innistrad as their backdrop to punch some bad guys today. And I don't get me wrong, I loved get the Gatewatch era. I was a big fan of all the characters. I thought the stories were fun. It was just uh, the the revelation of the the desparking, um, the desparkening, or however you want to call it. Um, I'm really worried that that's gonna <laughs> that that's gonna catch on. Actually, it, it's, it's better it than is, the great pruning. Still um, better than great pruning, like we said. Yeah. But when, when that happened, like one of the things I was excited about was just like, cool, we get we get to revisit settings again uh, with a whole new perspective because the the problems happening on that plane may be unique and novel. It may be caused by an omen path. There might be someone you know. Baron Singer shows up on Innistrad walking through the Dwarven Gate slash Dwarven Omen path. Um, he shows up <laughs> on Innistrad and is like, hey, I'm the new vampire family in town. Uh, and we can't just be like, well, you know, I guess this is going to be when uh, Liliana teams up with Soren and Jace and uh, they pull in all these other, you know, planeswalkers. It's like this could be an entirely different story. You know, we have to focus on the people who live on the plane a little bit more than we did before. So. It's just an exciting like narrative concept that could lead to revisiting old settings with a new fresh perspective. I think can I um can I bring up a couple uh concerns I've read Roy and have you respond and if it's uh NDA like we can't talk about that pineapple situation we'll just uh we'll just cut it. Yeah, sure. So uh one concern I've heard is that desparking has made characters uh plain the characters who were planeswalkers irrelevant uh well okay so yeah sure i'm i'm happy to address that um i i hope i would hope that everything else that i've said this episode <laughs> about how planeswalkers uh were a were frustrating from a narrative perspective because of of this tendency to swoop in and and solve everything and uh how they necessitated a lot of space that I that felt like it tied the hands of me and our writers. Um, I would hope that that like gives some some sign of how how I intend to treat legendary characters going forward. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so you mean these planeswalkers are now legendary characters, and you're saying you care about legendary characters? <laughs> I I think a lot of the characters that we made. I think that the characters that we chose to despark, um, we've chosen for a particular reason. So it's not, I wouldn't like, you know, if you want to say from a design perspective that a legend is less special and significant than a planeswalker because there are more of them, I suppose that's true uh, from uh, a game standpoint. But like speaking as the story guy, I don't. I think someone not having a, a planeswalker spark doesn't make them less interesting as a character. And the characters that we've chosen to deprive that spark from, uh, we did so intentionally uh, with the uh, with the the intention of exploring uh, what that means for them. Right. So, like, if you you know, for instance, uh, Sarkon is desparked and on Tarkir. Um, that's where else is he? That guy gonna go? <laughs> it's the dragon plane. Like we, we did just talk about. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. infinitely more interesting as like an emblematic figure on Tarkir. 
uh, than mm-hmm. he is like going to some going to I don't know Ikoria and being like, uh, fasten these are almost dragons. <laughs> sure, but I I do also want to chime in. Like I don't know about y'all, but not having a planeswalker spark did not stop legendary creature Elish Norn from being very important in Magic story <laughs> recently. Yeah, I I think that was a great answer, Roy. Without touching on anything in the future that can't be touched on well i uh, i will say for for as the person who's not under an nda uh we do have a set coming up later you know in like next month uh centered around two characters who are confirmed desparked. so like i feel like if we're worried about the former planeswalkers being irrelevant we are immediately being disproven like wilds of eldraine it's it's a story about ronan and will as far as we can tell so like there we go right, so the the next one is so these are just uh, th- this one I, I really only have one more unless i think of another one but uh so roy did the rules committee make you do this <laughs> <laughs> this is this is, i am i am joking but one of the one of the kind of most amusing and frustrating because we can't specifically answer that or i couldn't specifically answer that was that this was like a commander decision uh whether or not it makes any kind of sense. Um, uh, what can you talk a little bit about about that? Maybe um, what I'll say to that, Jay, is that the magic story and I don't think this is going to surprise anyone. I think the joy of magic story is that it is tied to a card game, right? That's the mm-hmm. exciting part about it, that that you that these that the card game references the story and the story references the game. Um, so like was that a factor in this decision probably uh i don't know i'm not on the rules committee i wasn't in that room uh but like the forces that led to this to this change happening are uh a a lot more complicated and uh yeah i I mean it's 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 not that's just not how it works, you know, like mm. it, in the same way that I don't, you know, kick in the door of design and say, like, all right, everybody, you're telling a story. You're telling my personal fan fiction story about Vivian Reed being an eco terrorist on Muraganda now. <laughs> like that's it, in the same way that that can't happen. Uh, the rules committee can't kick in my door and and be like, hey, every uh, take away everyone's sparks. Omen paths are everywhere. Have fun. <laughs> We're not going to make planeswalkers yeah. legal commanders. Like we we work together. We we the the it it's how it works. We you know we there is discussion, there is debate, there is give and take. Uh, but neither one of us makes the other do anything. So would you say design and creative are just multifaceted aspects of a team that all work together to make decisions and make a product? You could say something like that. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. It's I. I just have this mental image now of like Vivian showing up on Muraganda and like, uh, yeah. Okay, carry on. <laughs> heavy brow ridge Neanderthal banging two stones together to try to make fire, and she just walks up, slaps the rocks out of his hands, and says, "No." <laughs> and uh, you know, good, 
good story, but maybe not where magic is heading. All right. So we've covered pretty much all the ground we wanted to cover. Uh, does anyone have any like remaining burning questions for Roy while we've got him today? I've got one, but it's very off topic. We can save it. Go for, for my it. Final. Yes. Oh, well, no, no. Do, do it now. Uh, all right. What was your main in, in League, Roy? What were you? What were you maining when you, you decided to write <laughs> League fan fiction? Uh, I'm a top lane player. Uh, uh, yeah. And uh, I... Uh, I'm kind of a I'm like a bruiser player primarily, so play a lot. I played a lot of Darius, played yeah. a lot of Alawi, played oh, a lot yeah. of Set. Love set. Follow up, follow up. Favorite Darius skin? Uh, the it, I think the um, God Killer Darius mm-hmm. or God Emperor Darius is the the only right choice. Oh, I'm a Doug Master fan, but <laughs> I understand. I mean, it's, yeah, it's respectable. I have them all. <laughs> all <right>. okay <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if i have a question thanks for looking at my scripts <laughs> oh no problem Lorelai. <laughs> thanks for writing them yeah thanks so everyone uh Lorelai and i both work with roy in different capacities yeah i mostly my job is to just annoy roy like i i will come up with some random idea based on whatever we're doing and I'll send it to him with zero context and be like, could, could, could you explain that, Jay? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? I actually, I mean, yes, I do ask you to do that a lot. But I, I feel like I, I often, way more often feel like the one annoying you is zero context. You know, I'll be in my little mind palace for days at a time and you'll have not received an answer to a question you needed. And then my first <laughs> message to you will be like, do you think a Johnny and Vivian ever hung out? Uh, <laughs> like socially, like. hold, hold, hold on. Uh, sometime in the future, Roy, uh, I have a favor to ask. Can you just like out of the blue send Jay a question and ask if a Johnny uses a litter box anymore? <laughs> uh, okay, oh listen. There's a very specific rule at the bottom of uh, a Johnny's like character dossier that we send to people who are going to be working with this character that says. Please do not make physical jokes around a Johnny being a cat. Uh, so I am aware. That's not answering the question, though. I need to know if a Johnny uses a litter box. This There's is a lot of years of magic stories. All I have to say. Here is, here's a potentially two-parter question. Do you think the current quantity of magic story is appropriate for the sets? As the person who partially works on, you know, directing it. Sure. Um, I think we do the best. I think we do pretty good uh, with with what we have and like the resources that are allocated to us. Um, I think it would be disingenuous for me to say that I don't wish that we had more. Um, But uh, at the same, you know, like I've said, the beauty of magic is that it is it is tied to a card game. Uh, You know, it's not uh, meant to be in its own uh write uh a standalone best-selling brand or a standalone novel or things like that um so if we were in the future you know given uh taken off the leash a bit and and given more room to work uh and uh more space to tell the stories in i don't think anyone would be unhappy about that um but at the same time you know we're i i think uh with the space that we're given we do well. My second part was contingent on you not shutting down the first part. So second part. <laughs> <laughs> is there any way for magic players to advocate for more stories? Healthily. Yes, healthily. <laughs> not Twitter's not going down Roy the drain. We don't have to worry on, yeah. about that one. But 
everywhere else? Um, no, I mean, so I, I like that question. Um, I, yeah, don't harass anybody. <laughs> don't, don't, don't send anybody messages or anything. Um, I would say uh, the best way to advocate, if you, if you love Magic Story and you want more of it, um, is to get more people to read it. Uh, and, you know, we, we are um, working on uh, ways to, like, get uh, more story in front of people. Um, as well, you know, to like put the the work that our our excellent writers and editors um, accomplish uh, in front of like as many eyes as we can. Um, you know, send them to your friends, talk about them on the internet. To, uh, be like, be the advocate for Magic Story. Um, that that stuff is really genuinely helpful. Excellent. Please don't come into my Twitter mentions about it. I just write little jokes. Plurally, <laughs> I thought you were in charge of dictating how many stories there were per set well i'll have to delete some messages um yeah (laughs) those are my final two because i feel like that is a common uh request within our server and other servers and other communities that we've been in so perfect all right shall we uh shall move on to our final thoughts yeah okay Okay. i have no roy do you have any final thoughts for us even this is this is our like off-topic random can oh, be about magic, but it can just be like, oh, I'm watching this good TV show right now. Oh, um, geez. Reading a great book right now. Ooh, what's the book? Uh, it's called Waste Tide. Waste Tide. What's Waste it about? Waste Tide by uh, Chen Kifong. Uh, I think I probably butchered that pronunciation. It's it's like an eco thriller about um, a, I believe, fictional, but very plausible seeming um, uh, like island in China where... Uh, most of the world's plastics and electronics waste are processed and about Mm. the like gangs and clans that run it and uh there's like some sort of spy plot developing right now i don't really i'm only like 100 pages in (laughs) loving it (laughs) all right i'll have to check that out that sounds like the kind of thing i'd enjoy uh so for me my final thought is when you're listening to this i think the next day is when the trailer for godzilla 33 will be out and they said Poster and trailer coming out uh, July 11th. So I am I am pumped. This is the next, I think, Toho film, uh, not not the mm. legendary American films, but the next Toho film. Uh, and we haven't had one in years. When was Shin Godzilla? That was like 2010 ish. No way. I, I was still sis when it came out. Yeah. Shin Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was yeah. a, it was a minute. It's been a minute. It's got to be at least 2015 or 2016. Well, not 10. Oh, it's 2016. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. 2016, time yeah. is time. Yeah. Yeah. Jay, this episode comes on July 10th. And the only important thing that comes out tomorrow on July 11th is the Godzilla trailer. There's nothing. Uh, I guess there's nothing magic else coming out on July 11th. I guess there's command. Oh, crap. We have to record a preview episode. Yeah. <laughs> also, listen to our preview episode tomorrow for our preview cards for Commander Masters. Wait, is that one the episode? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It'll be, it's the 11th. Yeah, I, I forgot. We actually have to record cool. it right after this. All right. So, go ahead. <laughs> What's your final thought, Lorelai? Oh, I guess it's... It's my turn. Ah, uh, jeez. Um, this is usually the part where I talk about Destiny. Shout out to uh, voice actress Sissy Jones, who is fantastic. She voices Liliana for us uh, for Arena, but she also voices uh, Sloane uh, from this season of Destiny and has gotten some freaking phenomenal scenes uh, in 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 this season. Sloane is like a uh, 
career, like military type, very by the book, but also very survivalist. She's kind of like the last person standing on uh, the moon of Titan and um, has befriended a space whale and has been tormented by an alien war god and uh, just got to do a lot of really good emotional voice acting and has just like crushed this season. Uh, it's been very delightful. And I like when people I work with do... Uh, my final thought is that I watched the movie on Netflix, Nimona, last night, and it's great. Oh, it's you, so good. You should watch it. It's a lot of fun and uh, just really nice. I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a final thought sort of in keeping with Roy's about books. Uh, I have read like two different books in the past week and a half-ish. Uh, one of them is called If Tomorrow Doesn't Come, which is a like, I don't want to say it's not young adult for sure. It's like new adults, like, you know, it's like college age characters. Uh, but the whole concept of the book is like it begins with a, you know, information that the world is ending in nine days. And so it was the most stressful reading I've ever done in my life, because every time I'd read like three days to impact, I'd sit there and think like, is the world? Is, I, I, I got into that <laughs> mindset. I spent a lot of time being anxious about the end of the world. Um <laughs> And uh, it's very good. It's very, very sapphic. Lesbian love story. Uh, and then I just finished last night a book called All's Well by Mona Awad. If you are, uh, if you ever did theater in college, you need to read that book. It's so weird. I loved it. It was really good. Uh, I won't give anything else away about it. What's the book title again, Chris? Uh, All's Well by Mona Awad. It's, uh, I will say, okay, it's, it's about a college theater production of All's Well That Ends Well. And the students attempt a mutiny to instead put on a production of Macbeth. Um, <laughs> that is like a very, very brief description of it, because it's much weirder than that. All right. And Carrie. On the day this comes out, Monday, unless it comes out Tuesday, but it should come out Monday, you can go to mtglore.com slash zine, Z-I-N-E, and sign up. And if it's not closed already... You will be mailed a copy of a fan fiction and fan art sign called Adrift about lost planeswalkers. And that is all. It'll be digitally available later, but I'm printing off quite a number to mail. So oh, get yeah. going. <laughs> Very that cool. That is like the most modest promo you could do for a project. <laughs> oh, proud of you for that. Uh, I'm very cool. Very excited for that. Um, oh, wait, that's everybody. Yeah, that's Segway, Patreon, uh, and then we got to wrap up. And let Roy yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, if if y'all uh, out there, listeners, are uh, excited for the future of Magic Story, I am, uh, and and you want a place to talk about it and uh, hang out with other people just like you, uh, we have a Discord server for uh, the Vorthos Cast, which you can get access to by heading to Patreon.com/slash the Vorthos Cast uh, for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, you can be part of that community. Um, we have. Wonderful discussions about Magic Story. Uh, yeah, lots of other things, too. A lot of people have been talking about Nimona. People seem to love it. I haven't seen it yet um, soon. But um, but uh, a lot of wonderful folks there. And uh, we would love to have you join us. Um, so, Jay, you want to close us out? Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.